0: Welcome to The Common Share, a podcast about cooperative businesses. I'm Asa Marshall with Cooperatives First, an organization that promotes co-op business development in rural and Indigenous communities across Western Canada. We're recording in Saskatoon on Treaty 6 territory and the traditional homeland of the Métis. In this episode, we have Carrie Lynn Paul, a quick woman and member of Woodstock First Nation in New Brunswick. She's a teacher at the Cody Institute at St. Francis Xavier University in Nova Scotia. Cooperatives First Indigenous Relations Lead, Trista Puapusconius, participated in two programs in which Carrie Lynn teaches, Building Abundance in Indigenous Communities and Indigenous Women in Leadership. Trista and I spoke to Carrie Lynn about the abundance approach to community development, which encourages folks to look at what they have in their communities that they can build upon rather than starting out thinking about what they lack. This approach focuses on holistic relationship building and people's gifts and abilities. Trista and I were honoured to speak to Carrie Lynn and we think you'll love this conversation.
1: So uh, just to give a bit of background, uh, both Carrie Lynn and I have known each other for a few years uh, through friends and family, but we really only got connected this past year uh, when I had taken the Indigenous Women in Leadership six-week course and the Building on Abundance in Indigenous Communities through the Cody International Institute and the St. Francis Xavier University, as you are one of the co-instructors with Krista Hansgrove. So um, personally, like these courses really opened my eyes into the approach and my approach in working with Indigenous communities. I'd like to know, how did you get involved in this line of work?
2: Sure. Um, uh, Dun Gawk, Nildali was Carrie Lynn. My name's Carrie Lynn Paul. I'm from uh, Woodstock First Nation on my mom's side and Tobik First Nation on my dad's side. Um, I grew up with my grandmother uh, most of the time. Uh, She had 15 children and I feel like I was the 16th child. I have a really big family and i think actually that's really where all of this started is i felt uh, often very supported Um, even though my grandmother didn't have a very high education she really valued education so she made sure that uh, i got up and had a good breakfast and and went to school and did well and pulled my braids so hard that i had a facelift (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think i think for me it was definitely her influence that uh, made me feel like I could do something, and that made me really want to contribute back to the community. I think too, because part of part of that is my family so big that it was a big part of the community, and we were always, I think, taught to, you know, love everyone like they're your family, and you know, feed them when they're hungry and take care of each other, and as best we could. And I think even when she was growing up, you know, they didn't have much. So that was really vitally important. And to me, uh, this abundance-based approach or asset-based approach is is just a way, another way of doing that in this day and time.
1: Great, Um, so for anybody who's joining, what exactly is
2: the abundance-based approach? So I got involved with Cody in 2011 as a participant in the Indigenous Women and Community Leadership, their flagship program. So I came as a participant and that was the first time I ever engaged with uh, what they called an asset-based community-driven approach. And that was the first time I learned about kind of the tools of of that process and, and developing, helping communities basically drive their own change. And I think it spoke to me, not necessarily from that Western perspective, but from the fact that it was very Indigenous to me, that you would look inside your community and see the gifts and talents that already existed there and then build on those to really solve your problems or solve your challenges. And you did that collectively. And what I really appreciated was one of the very first assignments they gave us was to write a story about a time when your community did something without any outside help. And that really forced me to think about, you know, what that was. And, and I actually wrote about our family reunion. We had about a hundred people at our family reunion over a week long. And I helped organize that and in that process. You know we brought everyone's gifts and talents to the table or we would have never gotten it done and i usually say that you know for me an abundance-based approach is a very indigenous approach because we couldn't have survived in our traditional communities without having everybody using their gifts you know there was no there was no sitting around we had to you know hunt and fish and gather to make sure that everybody was taken care of and to me that the uh, asset-based or abundance-based approach is really an extension of that i'm
0: just wondering if she could contrast that with like how economic development how you, know, you usually see that being done without this approach like can you just tell us how that works and how it contrasts with the way that you're approaching it
2: <laughs> yeah i would say an abundance-based approach or an asset-based approach really developed because of the deficit-based approach that was taken with many communities, not just Indigenous ones. You know, how many times have we been challenged to look at our communities and see the deficits, see the problems, see the issues, and then write about those or talk about those in order to get funding to have programming or deliver services or supports. You know, so this is really, an abundance-based approach really flips that narrative, it changes that narrative completely. And it says, you know, not that any of those issues go away or any of the challenges go away, but that the starting point is really from, okay, what are the gifts and talents in the room, in the community, in the organization and how do we build on top of those to start with, to start to solve those issues and challenges and problems, and then, and then go from there. And, and to me, if, if you think about those two parallel approaches, there's a very different feeling when you are building on abundance or building on assets than there is when you're, you're being forced as a leader sometimes or as a community member to talk about those deficits in your community.
1: For working within, communities throughout western Canada and being like myself being educated in these western institutions I find it so easy to see how economic development is always the top-down approach and with the building of abundance it's actually more grassroots coming up creating these changes how do you see like the abundance based approach being adopted
2: within communities that you've been working with. I see it. I mean, even I went to dinner with one of our graduates on Thursday and, and I just keep seeing it over and over again. And as I learn more, I think about how Indigenous people kind of live this way and, and open my eyes to it. You know, we have one of our graduates, Mallory, uh, she started Indigenous Box and really she used this asset based approach to build her company. And it was just so inspiring to hear her talk about, you know, hiring indigenous people, uh, you know, utilizing all indigenous businesses to bring her products for her boxes, you know, like that just, I think it just made sense to us. And then it was easy to use. And then now the when I look at a lot of our graduates work, I see that abundance based approach, and I see the success that they're having. And I and I really think it's because we can very easily braid this kind of approach in this kind of contemporary Western, you know, we're You know, know, as well as I do, as an educated Indigenous woman working often for non-Indigenous institutions, we have to braid both things together. You can't just have a traditional approach and you can't just have a Western approach, but we have to somehow find our way through and weave those things together to to come up with solutions um, that are relevant to today's issues that we face.
1: I I find both you and Krista so inspiring and being able to bring that out in so many students that have taken this course and um, meeting such a great group of women across the country, um, Indigenous women. And we really discussed a lot on relationships, uh, both within each other, our communities, families, as well with the earth, the animals. How would you see uh, relationships um, and handling the relationships being so important within community development?
2: Yeah, I think I mean, for me, I don't, uh, obviously, I would never dream of taking credit for the way that our graduates approach their work, but I just, I just can see that abundance there. And it's so beautiful to see. But I also think much of our work is a, is reflection back to say, look at all the wonderful things you're doing, look at how you're already doing these things. How do we, how do we shine the light on that? You know, I think that's um part of the the most important part of our work but certainly as we've as we've worked through this process of switching from an asset base to an ab what we call an abundance-based approach that is more indigenous focused you cannot do work in any indigenous community with talking about relationship because you'll never you'll never get anything done if if you don't have those relationships and you don't build on those relationships, so those are an asset as much as anything else. To me, those are the, like the essential assets. You know, those relationships, those stories, they're so important to build on. And even part of our course, um, at least for the building on abundance in indigenous communities, we have a set of principles that we looked at our graduate stories and we said, okay, how are how are these graduates building? their communities or building their organizations. And so we we really boiled it down to set these seven principles. And you know, they're not always gonna fit with everyone. Um, There'll be cultural differences or um, just ways of thinking. I mean, anybody can look at the data and come up with different um, results. But I think for me, the essence of how indigenous people build co- on community uh, really, is, is uh, relationships are central, and that's one of the principles that we that we talk about.
1: So, one of the things that really people will focus on is the when we're talking about abundance or acid-based approach. Usually, top of mind uh, for someone who hasn't taken the course is usually location or how much money the the nation has if they're in a touristy area, uh, goes on. But one of the tools we did cover in the course that I was just taken, <laughs> taken by was the hands, heart, mind, spirit uh, tool. And it's a very individualized tool to create a, like the building of abundance within your community. Uh, Can you provide an overview of the tool um, and how it can be used?
2: Sure. Um, traditionally, the activity is head, heart, hands. And what we really felt like that was missing was the spirit component. And for us as Indigenous people, our spirituality is so central to who we are and what makes us, I think, unique. And and it's, it's much of how we contribute I think to the world, it is our it is our gift. And to add that into that particular exercise. And really, it seems like such a simple exercise. We're just mapping for ourselves. First of all, you know, what are the gifts of the head? What are the gifts of the heart? What are the gifts of the hands? What are the gifts of the spirit? And in that process, you know, we've worked with many people who found that extremely challenging. And we've worked with youth and community and they said, that's hard for us. Like maybe we should work with other people to help us actually look and find those gifts because they found it so challenging. And I love that they (laughs) told us, you know, how they wanted to use the tool. So I think just that process of looking at yourself and seeing your own abundance within you in those different areas is a way to both build confidence but also make it a lot easier to see in other places it's like when you buy a red car you never notice all the red cars so to me when you do that kind of activity as an individual it opens your your eyes and your heart maybe and your spirit up to seeing those gifts in others and i think that has like a major multiple uh effect multiplying effect and then we move that all the way up to how do we see those in our community and how do we start to map those. And then not only just, you know, make a map because it's not really about the map. It's, a re- it's about those relationships, and it's about acknowledging other people's gifts. And then saying, Oh, you know, for instance, you know, Trista, you, to me, you are part of my community in terms of the Indigenous women I've worked with across Canada. and. To meet with another graduate and say, "Oh yeah, Trista's done this work. I'm gonna connect you." You know, to me, that is that is how we're gonna have larger impact because there's so many graduates doing similar work that could be supporting each other, that could be getting us way ahead, way faster. Um, and I think that's really a, the beauty of the abundance-based approach is it's helping rebuild those connections, rebuild those relationships between people, between families, between communities. and i think for so long colonization has really had a huge impact on me personally as an indigenous person and i think many others in terms of thinking that we don't have that power or we don't have that we don't have gifts. you know we only see, we only see our problems. And this is just, I think this is just a way for us to say, No, wait a minute, we actually do have many wonderful things. And if we can put a mirror up to those things for other people, for other communities for our own families, you know, that's the beauty of this, I think, approach is that it can work on so many different levels and i know you know there's there's certainly many critiques of of an asset-based approach i don't want to diminish those either you know i i think it is very good for for accessing grassroots like you said but it is also challenging potentially to do it on a larger scale like how do we how do we do that on a larger scale um coming from an asset based and certainly Much of the pushback is in people's own personal decolonizing their own mind around their own gifts and around how they actually have the solutions. You know, it's not about hiring a person to come in and do a study or to, you know, even with the leaky bucket or the leaky basket, we call it, you know, it's a very simple tool that talks about economics, the economics of our households and our communities but anyone can understand it because it's that simple. I mean, you could pay a consultant to come and do a leakage study on your community, but how many people are going to pick that study up and read it? And how meaningful is it to every person in the community? It's not because they haven't contributed. They don't know for themselves what where the assets are, where the, where the money is getting spent in their communities. And so I think it's a real, you know, there's some really great tools in terms of accountability and transparency as well. So one of the
1: things that I loved about the course um, and meeting so many women is, especially that I took it during the pandemic and so we're still within lockdown. So that was my chance to escape for a couple hours a week and laugh and having the humor uh, amongst Indigenous women across the country. And we all had that same sense of humor and found the same things funny. Um, What for being involved within this program for uh, as a student and now as an instructor, kind of what are your, what, what were your favorite things about being so involved within the this program?
2: I mean, honestly, I feel like every time we we get to bring Indigenous people together, especially our women together, it's such a privilege to do that work. And I know there's not many people who get to do that. And to me, I I recognize that every time I'm with everyone, you know, and I hear that laughter and a lot of times it's just getting out of the way. It's just giving you time to connect with each other, giving you some tools to talk about, even if you don't learn any of those tools. If you've made a connection, if you felt like, to me, being with other Indigenous women, being in the program for the first time, it was like I came into a room where I didn't have to explain myself. I knew that these women understood the challenges I I faced in my life. You know, I didn't have to explain to them what You know, why something is funny or, or, you know, the impact of trauma in our, in our lives or, um, you know, the impact of, of loss, grief and loss in our communities. Like we have shared experiences and I think, you know, getting people and getting women, particularly in a room together with each other and feeling that energy feel, you know, having those laughs. Um, but also, you know, learning together I think is significant. Reflecting together is significant. Um, and it's really, I mean, in what day? This is the only day and age we we have been able to have everybody join us in a, in a way online and build that community. You know, I I was just writing to a participant for a program this year and i was saying you know we our definition of community is so broad it's a community of identity it's an organization it's you know if you share the same interests you can create community wherever you are um you know whether it's online or in person and sometimes it's just us reflecting back and looking and saying well where are my communities like when i think about doing beadwork or painting or things that i love to do you know there's communities built around that and there's connections built around that and i think those are those are really important to recognize because at the end of the day when you need to get something done those are often the connections you're going to lean on and for you know doing this work with indigenous women primarily uh, These are the relationships I depend on, you know, and they depend on me and they, you know, whether it's writing a letter of a letter for them to get a job or giving a reference or any of the things that that I think Indigenous women need and might be shy to ask someone else like a non Indigenous employer, we're able to provide that. And that feels really good to help someone get a job to help someone, you know, make a connection. To work collaboratively. I think all of these things are really, really special and really meaningful. And, and I feel really honored to to be able to do it.
1: Is there anything you think, you know, we haven't covered that you'd like to? Um, I,
2: I just have been reflecting the last, you know, few weeks and days, we're working on a project with a graduate in Red Deer. And, you know to see her organization build build on an indigenous governance approach to really be driven by what the community wants to you know we're working with her to 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 create a tool in order to help funders better fund the things that the community wants funded not necessarily what the funder wants funded So it's just such a, it's so great to see all of these. I, I, when I talk about it, I talk about it in terms of a thousand flowers blooming. You know, when I look across the country and I see these women just doing beautiful things and dropping seed for others, creating leaders out of, other community members, mentoring young women, um, creating nonprofit organizations, getting elected in their communities, in their provinces, in their territories. And I feel like, you know, we have 150 graduates and there's such a, I think there's such a building up of, of momentum. And I really see, this beautiful field of flowers blooming. And to me, each of you are, are the flowers. And how do we, now I'm like, okay, how do we, (laughs) how do we connect those flowers? How do we, you know, support each other to grow a tree? Honestly, I was saying to my colleagues, we were just traveling by car uh, to Edmonton. And I said, you know, wouldn't it be fantastic if, our graduates, I mean, some of them are already doing this. Are creating social enterprise, and then we're able to be the ones who fund our programs, to be able to give back to the program that that maybe they started in, and that our communities actually funded our own our own work um, by creating other Indigenous women leaders. And to me, having those dreams, having those. Um, you know, seeing those flowers blooming is is just an amazing privilege uh, to be able to stand back and look at that, and um, to see all the beautiful work and where people have taken things and made them really resonate with their community.
0: Thank you for joining us. For more on us and what we do, visit cooperativesfirst.com. If you need resources for starting your own co-op, check out coopcreator.com. It's a great resource site that has everything you need to get a co-op up and running give us your thoughts on anything we discussed in this episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or on Twitter as co-ops underscore
2: first. Join us next time on The Common Share.